in March, our eighth grade son, Logan, came to me and he said, Mom, I have to put together a four-year plan for high school. That's how they do it here. And so we had to sit down and literally plan things he would take in four and a half years, even though they said we could change it. But the important thing was to figure out freshman year, okay? And then what they do is they give you this time sheet. And on this sheet, they've told you, if you're going to take this certain class, this is how many hours you need to plan in the week to study. And then you need to make sure to include things in your week like eating and sleeping and hanging out with your family. Are you going to get a job? You need to have that, your extracurriculars. And then you add all the hours up, and then you subtract it from 7 times 24, and there's a number. So Logan's final number was 7. And we're like, oh, yeah, he has seven hours to spare. Oh, no, no, no. It was seven hours too many. Like, he had to find seven hours. So um, my first response was, you know, well, how many hours did you put down for video gaming? Let's maybe adjust that. And, and his was, well, why don't I adjust my sleep? And I thought, it's so interesting because I would have I done the same thing. And, and, you know, we as Americans, we don't get enough sleep. It's absolutely proven. The National Institute of Health says we are a sleep-deprived country. So for those teenagers out there, you are supposed to be getting 8 to 10 hours a night, average. That means you have to go to bed by 10.30 and not wake up till 6.30. And then for the adults, we're supposed to be getting 7, average, so think about just the past month. Think about, I think, look out at some of you who have been in session for the past two months. Are you getting seven hours of sleep? Probably not. There are several factors at play in why we aren't getting enough sleep. Um, it has to do with what we're doing while we're awake. So there's tons of these caffeinated energy drinks. Um, there is the culture of busyness that surrounds us. There are these screens that give us this blue light that's been proven that inhibits us being able to fall asleep more easily. And I'm sure all of us could name a few more, like we ache, we hurt, we have to get up to go to the bathroom, etc. The question that the scripture is going to challenge us today is what are we doing when we're awake? What are we up to? When you get up in the morning, what are you watching out for? What are you hoping for in your day? We are in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Mark and this is the last discourse that Jesus has with his disciples before the passion. Before we look at the word, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, wake us up this morning, Lord God. May your spirit that rests within each of your followers, that Holy Spirit, may it speak. May our busy minds, our to-do lists, our feelings of less than or more than or whatever it is that we came today, may we just hear from you, God. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Hear the word of our Lord from the 13th chapter of Mark. Jesus is speaking to the disciples about the end of time. And he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son." Only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house. He puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, 
because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, keep awake. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This section of Mark is referred to as the little apocalypse. It's just in this chapter, chapter 13. And the reason, apocalypse just means the end of the world. And so this is Jesus's opportunity to share with us what the end of the world is going to look like. But not the end as in centuries later. But he's talking about things that are going to be happening in the near future as well. And this is what we've heard up to the scripture today. Up to the scripture today, the entire chapter, Jesus has told us, he refers to how the temple will be destroyed. And we know that actually takes place in the year 70, common era. In this chapter, Jesus tells the disciples they need to be on guard three times. And four times, he tells them to keep watch. He refers to how the disciples, they need to be on guard against certain things. And one of them is that there are going to be people that come in the near future future who claim that they are the Christ. And he says, watch out that no one deceives you and says, I am he. He's telling them to watch out for that. He tells them to watch out for a time when they individually, these very, very disciples, that they are going to be persecuted, they are going to be beaten, they are going to be questioned for their faith, and they are going to be put on trial. So he's talking about stuff that's going to be happening in the coming weeks, months, and years. And then he tells them there will be a time when the Son of Man will come back and will redeem everything. And just because Jesus knows how humans work, our passage picks up, and the first thing he says is, listen, about that time, no one knows. You can't try to find a date for it using some calendar. No one will ever know. He even says, in fact, I don't know. Only the Father knows that time. And then Jesus, after this, he gives us this parable that's kind of, it's in the middle of this section, and this is the parable. I'll read it again. It's like a man going away. The man leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. And I love how the King James writes it. It's a little bit more, it it flows a little better. Listen to how King James says it. For the son of man is a man taking a far journey. He left his house and he gave authority to his servants and to every person his work and commanded the porter to keep watch at the door. So I want to flesh out this parable this morning. The man in the parable is Jesus. The man goes away. The Greek there means that the the man goes to a faraway place, to a foreign land. And this is Jesus after his death and resurrection. He goes away. Jesus walked the earth. He was crucified, but then he leaves. And the scripture tells us that Jesus leaves his house The man leaves his house. That's what the parable says. Well, up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has referred to his house. He doesn't have a house. Jesus is homeless. But what does he refer to as his house? The temple. Just just a week earlier, he walks into the temple and he's upset with what he says. And he says, you have made my father's house a den of robbers. So in the parable, the house represents the church. The house represents the the community of believers, where they meet. I'm not talking about a physical building, but it represents the church. And and then it says that Jesus, that the man, has left the church 
with servants, to have authority, to have to be in charge of it. Those who follow Jesus are the servants. We are the servants in the parable. The word for put in charge is really better translated as have authority to. Jesus has given the followers of Christ authority to care for this church that he has left behind. And then it goes forward to say that each person has been given a task. Jesus has entrusted every single believer with a task to care for the church. We are to make sure there is someone at the door to keep watch. We need to make sure that we are staying awake so that we can take care of the house that God has entrusted us. Jesus is the head of the church, and this is something the Apostle Paul hits many times. He lets us know that Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the head. And the church, again, I'm not talking about 7127B Caves Road. I'm talking about the community of believers who exist in order that the message of the gospel of Jesus is heard throughout the world. The scripture is clear. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. So in our parable, now that we see who we are in the parable, there are two things that are going on. The first is that there's housekeeping that needs to be going on, and the second is that we need to be keeping watch. So first, the housekeeping. Every one of us is supposed to help care for the church. So how are we doing at keeping house? I am not a good housekeeper. And I mean, I'm like the type that's okay to go to bed with dirty dishes in the sink. I rarely make my bed. I thought when we moved I would get in this new habit of making the bed every day and and I have been miserable at it. Um, I leave piles of laundry to be folded. But I'm telling you, if you were to walk through my door and I was gonna know that you were coming, I'd turn into Mary Poppins and that house is gonna be spit spot. I would never want it to seem like I don't keep house. I wonder if we do the same thing with our spiritual house. You see, we have been entrusted to care for the church. So do we tidy up, get things in order, looking fresh and cheery for special occasions like Christmas and Easter, baptisms and confirmation, communion? Are we waiting for a time when we have more energy, more time, more money, more sleep, more faith to help keep God's house? And so day after day passes and we get a little sleepy. God has entrusted the church to us and given each of us a role in doing that. Now, you might be thinking that roles are things like teachers or preachers or servants, missionaries. And so you think, oh, well, I wasn't called to do that. God has given roles like that to all of us, yes. But in this parable, that's not what God's talking about. I think the role for all of us is to simply be watchful. To watch out for the work of God around us and then name it. I don't think most of us are asleep. In fact, I know we're not. And if you are, wake up right now. I don't think most of us are asleep or that most of us are not watching out for anything. I think we are really good at watching out for things. We, we, we are watching out um, as critics. We watch out for people to make mistakes or do something wrong. 
We watch out um, because we're feeling glass half empty, and so we watch for people to disappoint us. We notice the dishes that aren't put away as opposed to the ones that are. We notice the one person that didn't say hello to us or greet us as opposed to the others that did. I think we're watchful to be achievers. We're watching for the next opportunity to shine, for one more thing to add to our resume or our college application. We are watching to escape, watching for the next vacation, party, or event that, with the hope that it will help me escape from the troubles of my life. See, I wonder if it's not that we are not watchful or alert, but rather we're not watching out for the right things. This text reminds us to be watchful and awake to the things of God. This is the work of faith, friends. This is the role that each of us has been given. This is the discipline. How interesting, if you keep reading the scripture, not even a day later that Jesus is with his disciples in the garden and they can't stay awake. They keep falling asleep. How easy it is. And each time he comes back and he says, could you not even stay awake with me one hour? So I love to fish. Charlie and I love to fish. Our boys love to fish. And I love to deep sea fish. And the first time I went deep sea fishing, I was in middle school or high school. And my grandfather took all of his grandchildren out on one of those boats. And before we left, we got up really early. He made sure to pump us all with Dramamine. Well, apparently, some of the maybe littler cousins got a little too much. And y'all, they, they were in the inside of the boat and they slept the whole time. And they missed out. They missed out on that majestic opportunity to be, to be out in the open water and, and to see these, this amazing creation. They missed it. I don't want any of us to miss out on what God is doing because we're asleep. I promise you, God is at work. One of the benefits of being on staff here is we do get to hear. We get to hear your stories of how God is at work. I hope you heard that through Paul Walker this morning. I know for me, I am waiting for God to do the big things. I watch out for those. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Someone gets healed from cancer. The addict gets free. The war stops. The country is united. Homelessness is over. <laughs> and when those happen, we're all like, yeah, that was God. But y'all, when you look at the whole of scripture, there's only one story of a burning bush. Only one. I think what we need to be watching out for is God in the little things. If you're wondering, I don't even know what it looks like to see God work. I'm telling you, every single time you see an act of love, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of gentleness, every single time you see the fruit of the Spirit at work, that is God. And maybe our role in this house is to then claim it and to say, oh, that was God. And I want y'all to practice this at your dinner tables. I want you to sit with your families and I want you to share where did you see God at work. I want you to sit with your partners or with your, your close Christian friends. Or if you're a, at a Carencia table eating together. We need to be watching out for where God is at work in our lives. In other people's lives. And then to, to claim it out loud. We need the voices of what God is doing to be way louder than the voices of negativity and hopelessness. We serve a faithful God who has entrusted to us to keep his house 
and to be on the watch. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.